Either Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. Good afternoon, Peter. All right, so today's show, look, I, I, I couldn't help but be interested in this story that Paul reckons didn't get, get fly nationally, but I was in Victoria last week when they were talking about Uber Air, like Uber's going to have planes flying around Melbourne Jetson style, and I just could not believe this is possible. Well, Dr. Matthew Marino, aerospace engineer and co-leader of the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Research Team at RMIT, says, yep, this is going to happen. Well, when I heard you talking about Uber Air, uh, I was not sure what you were saying. I mean, I know about Uber. We know about Uber Eats. I know yeah. they've been involved in uh, in uh, not driverless or driverless cars, yeah. at least a lot of work there. I didn't had no idea they were involved in, um, well... Planes Uber or air. Uber Air, a bit like... Planes <laughs> flying around. I'm trying to think of all those, not the sci-fi movies, but all the, those movies where you see people getting sort of, mm. not teleported, but moving from one place to the air by some sort of uh, yeah. uh, vertical type of transporter system. But I guess this is getting close to that, isn't it? It certainly is. I'm imagining coming out of a restaurant and just typing into my phone, and in comes a plane and we slip in and I'm home in two minutes. Fantastic. But... It probably won't be as simple as that. It won't be as simple as that, but it is a look. It is a story I ha- I hadn't seen much of Peter as a, as a mm. Sydney side of you Melbournians. Of course, this is big in Melbourne. This yeah. story because it's all about uh, be? Melbourne being sort of the test case or yeah. the test area for Uber for mm. Uber Air. So, but look, it's um, I guess it's just none of these technologies. It's, it's surprising how quickly these things sort of come up at you sometimes, yeah. isn't it? Most definitely. And then uh, you caught up with our colleague Percy Allen. Uh, Percy is the editor of Market Timing Australia and Percy was a former Treasury Secretary of the New South Wales Government, uh, a very bright guy and he's created basically a system to either work out whether it's time to get in or get out of the market, whether we should buy Australian stocks or or gold and uh, you're going to basically go test uh, Percy on what he thinks is going to happen to our stock market. Yeah, there's an association of sort of market timing professionals around the world, and Percy's probably one of the leading or the leading exponent in Australia. Mm. Uh, it's not for everyone, but it's a, it's a it's sort of a it's a very mature type of trading. Uh, I won't say technology, but but methodology around where you're looking for long-term signals, buy and sell signals, yep. and. Um, and that's what Percy tries to do uh, and through a publication called Market Timing Australia. But he's got a very interesting background, Peter. You said former um, Secretary of the New South Wales Treasury and mm. uh, I think he sort of uh, retired and then sort of got into this as a, I won't say as a sideline, but uh, it's a passion of his in terms of using long-term indicators to uh, basically to help you pick the long-term trend, I guess. Yep. Okay, without any further ado, let's go and catch up with Dr. Matthew Marino, aerospace engineer and co-leader of the Unmanned Aircraft System Research at RMIT. Matt, thanks for joining us. Not a problem. Look, well, not a problem. I was in Melbourne last week when they were talking about this and I couldn't believe my ears that there were 
what planes flying around Melbourne like a, like in a taxi service, or have they got it wrong? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does, in fact, seem surreal. But um, I look at it from a, a technical point of view, and after basically reviewing the technology, actually building a passenger carrying drone at RMIT, I know it's possible, and I know that we can actually do this in the timeframes that they're stating. Okay, so just so for people out there who, who don't know much about, tell us what you're talking about. What specific, specifically will this drone plane look like and how many people could it carry and where could they get actually get on this thing and where can they get off? Yeah, good question. So uh, the Uber concept, which is the one that they're um, – they're outputting into the media quite rapidly is a hybrid concept whereby it looks like an aircraft and it can take off vertically and land vertically like a helicopter. Um, it's also a, an all, it looks like an all electric aircraft with multiple motors in which allow for a vertical takeoff and landing. Mm. And it seems like it'll be a similar size to that of a conventional four passenger carrying or five passenger carrying helicopter. I think um, Melbourne was, chosen or one of the reasons why Melbourne was chosen is because we do have a good existing copter infrastructure in which we can actually land an aircraft of that type on. So there's multiple helipads along the Yarra River. Mm. There are multiple helipads on the top of the buildings in Melbourne as well. And it's um, utilising the existing infrastructure to allow the basically transfer of passengers to and from um, different destinations using the existing heliport. Mm. And um Matthew, are the, are the trips, they're just designed for, the, are they sort of short, you know, short duration, you know, short distance trips that you might fly, you know, potentially three or four kilometres? What, what are they sort of thinking when they talk about uh, a drone for, for, for passengers? I mean, just, just give me describe what the, the type of, how people might use it, in other words. Yeah, it's, it's all based on endurance, I think, um, which translates into range. But the aircraft that they're looking at looks like they're going to be fully electric, which means they run on batteries. The current capability of that technology would be somewhere in between a 10 to 20 minute trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're flying at say 100, 120 kilometers an hour, which is completely achievable, um, and you're flying in a straight line for eight to nine kilometers, which might represent, or I don't know what the straight line distance is from, from Tullamarine to Melbourne, it might be something like 10, 12 kilometers, something like that. Mm-hmm. You can, actually, you can actually do a trip in 10 minutes, mm. um, and it's uninterrupted. It, it's a straight line as the crow flies, and that's where the, where the case comes from in terms of a really quick trip yeah. um, using an electric aircraft. It's funny you thought about Tullamarine because you know, I go to Melbourne you know, once a week usually, and I come in late at night, and there's invariably a whole lot of roadworks on the, that rotten road between the airport and Melbourne. If you, if you could yep. do it in 10 minutes, it would be extraordinary. And these sort of drones, they need something like an airport or a, or a yeah, helipad to, to take off and land. So it's not something that you're going to be able to just uh, go to someone's home. You'd have to go to a designated uh, landing area. Is that right? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think when you start thinking about these drones landing on a common city street, it's not possible. You, there's a lot of obstacles and the safety case wouldn't up. Um, you would definitely need some type of uh, area in which a drone or this type of air taxi can actually take off and land. Um, I think possibly in the future, if we're in urban environments where we have an oval, possibly that you could land a um, air taxi on an oval and that could be a pickup point. I don't know. Um, 
but it's definitely achievable. We can do that with a helicopter right now if and, we wanted to. And we know Uber's been very involved in in driverless cars, or at least research into, into driverless cars. Is, is, mm. is, is, is a plane sort of a generation after that, or are they perhaps sort of betting on both, or are they saying that maybe there's going to be more appetite for something of this service than there will be in a driverless car? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, because if you actually look at the technology in driverless cars, it's much more complicated and it is much more difficult to solve, mainly because in a driverless car, you've got other cars, you've got lanes, you've got passengers, you've got cyclists, you've got traffic lights, a whole magnitude of things that the car has to look out for. When you're talking about autonomous aircraft, all it really needs to do is separate from other aircraft in the sky, and there are hardly any obstructions when you actually fly at a certain altitude. So it's actually easier getting from point A to point B autonomously using an aircraft than it is to do it with an actual autonomous car. Matthew, would you need an air traffic control um, system in place or can you put sensors on these um, machines so they can pretty well avoid each other because of the sensors? Yeah, um, that would have it depends on the density. If you've got a lot of these things flying around, obviously you would need some type of management system to oversee the whole operation, so a, an air traffic management type of system. Yeah. Um, I think with today's technology, and I think Telstra is one of the players in the Uber in the Uber coming to Melbourne as well, so you would use existing wireless communication infrastructure to actually get the drones to essentially put out where they are, at what altitude, what GPS location, and you would you can develop a system to separate them in the sky quite quite effectively. You can even have an air traffic controller to, to oversee the whole operation as well. Mm. But um, in terms of what's capable in the drone field, we can get drones flying in swarms and separating separating themselves quite effectively on their own. This, this exists. Um, in fact, I'm actually doing an experiment tomorrow to do that. But um, basically, all, all that kind of is there. The only thing that is not there is the certification requirement to allow it to carry people. So this is kind of like my whole argument that's been over the past two weeks. Um, like yesteryears of aviation whereby new technology is created and regulations have been introduced to sort of you know, cope with the update of the technology, I think this new platform is quite like the same. As it gets introduced, there's going to be new regulations to sort of, um, you know, make it safe and sort of develop the risk profile around it. And where are the regulators in this area at the moment, uh, Matthew? I mean, how uh, how big a challenge will it be for Uber to uh, to, to get the regulators on side with this? Uh, regulators are on side. The CASA, especially on our, well, our CASA, our Civil Aviation Safety Authority, they're extremely forward-facing, extremely progressive when it comes to integrating drones into mainstream operation. Mm-hmm. Um it seems like they've got the backing of CASA. Um, in the announcement, there was there was a an interview with a, a CASA representative, and he said that they were up for the challenge, um, which is great. And that's what you really want. You want a regulatory body that will work with the technology creators. In this case, it's going to be Uber, and actually develop the technology with them and develop the regulations around on how to activate it in a um, common airspace and how to activate it with the drone carrying people. So, Matthew, can you admit that as a young man you were a great fan of the Jetsons? <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting because depending on who I speak to, um, some people say the Jetsons and then 
older generation say the fifth element um, with Bruce Willis there mm-hmm. and then and then other people say another another cartoon or something like that but yeah it's, it's a romantic gesture for me because um, this represents kind of like a, a new era in aviation this is, this is something completely new as for the last 60 years it's kind of just been updating technology updating aircraft updating techno- um, helicopters this is something completely new it's electric aircraft it's hybrid um, it's something that's going to be autonomous so it represents something extremely novel um, and I'm glad to be here for, for its introduction. And just the obvious question, I mean, do they have obviously just the backup procedure when communications fail or there is some type of sort of, uh, you know, natural event occurring where the drone's stuck midair and, you know, what, what, what are they programmed to do if, if things start to go really haywire? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you would program these things called safety nets. So. Yeah. The, the program would say, okay, if this, is, if this happens, you're going to do this. If GPS knocks out, um, there might be a certain response. If um, we lose communications, you know, there's going to be a response. If something catastrophic happens, we're going to deploy a big um, parachute. I don't know. Right. But all those things will be worked out. Like, you, you can't send people up in his aircraft unless you know what the failure modes are going to be mm. and how the drone is going to cope with them. And they'll come up with a lot of scenarios. So, so the risk of a catastrophic failure will be quite low. And I think what um, these, this type of technology has going for it is that if you actually look at the designs they're proposing, is that they all have multiple engines. And when I say multiple, it's like, you know, greater than six engines right. that are actually providing propulsion. So when you actually have that many engines, the safety case actually becomes quite good because if one engine fails, the others will take over to a certain point. And if another engine fails, they'll still take over. Um, and you might need four to fly on a six-engine aircraft. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I mean, so they obviously they put a lot of thinking up front into to catering for sort of those catastrophic type situations. I think that's what you're saying. It, it, it's a must. It's a requirement. It's a necessity. Um, and the regulatory body knows this, so they they wouldn't send people up there unless they knew exactly how safe quantifiably how safe the actual technology is. Yeah, I, I recall an episode in the program, The Good Wife, mm-hmm. where they were talking about driverless cars and someone actually hacked into the computer program. And, I, and so mm. what you're saying is that all those kind of weird things that can happen in this digital age would actually be addressed before anything gets in the sky? Yeah, I would, I would say so. I would say so. Um, You've got to be a again, little bit like, more uh, determined on that one. Yes, definitely you should have and, said. Are you ready to be a passenger, Matthew? Are you sort of putting your hand up to be the, the, the first flyer? Hey, if, if TASA signs it off and they've, they've done all the trials and they deem it to be safe, yeah, I'll find one. Absolutely. I've, I've had that stand since the, um, since the beginning. Absolutely. Are, are, are you married, Matthew? I am, yeah. Have you got, have you got permission from your wife to say this publicly? Uh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Check out your insurance, mate. Check out your insurance. Look, Matthew, yeah. thanks for filling us in. You've actually, I think he's made it very mm. believable, Paul, hasn't he? He's, 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 I'm waiting to fly, Pete. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right, Matthew, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Have a good day. Okay. Thank you. So that's uh, Dr. Matthew Marino, aerospace engineer from RMIT. And because we have changed our interest rates on Switzer home loans, we're at 3.59%. That's your headline rate, and it's also your um, uh, comparison rate. Uh, we haven't got our 
usual urgent-sounding lady talking about Switzer Home Loans. But if you are interested in the Switzer Home Loans, go to switzerhomeloans.com.au. If there's ever a question that most people want an answer to who invest in the market is, you know, can I time the market effectively and get in and get out at the right time? And someone who tries to help us answer that question is a gentleman by the name of Percy Allen, who was once head of uh, or secretary of the Treasury of New South Wales, and is uh, a guy who I regard very highly. And he's created a product called Market Timing. He's the editor of Market Timing Australia, and he joins us here on our podcast today. Percy, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Now, I know you well enough that if I made some sort of inaccurate, inaccurate introdu- part of the introduction, you would have picked me up on it. So I'm just going to rush into the first question and say, Percy, where did your idea for market timing come from? Well, I've got to say, like a lot of others, I got burnt in the global financial crisis. Yeah. Um, I was pretty well exposed to the markets, and as you know, they collapsed by about 55%. And so I thought after that... Um, that one, I realized I was much more emotionally moved by that uh, phenomenon than I thought I would be. Um, and I thought there, there really must be a better way of dealing with the share market than simply um, buy and hold and going through these crashes, which happen on average about every three and a half years, though not to that extent, but mm. the crashes a drop of more than 20%. And so I looked at... Um, what they were doing in America, and market timing was quite a common practice in America. There were over 300 market Mm -hmm. timers. And so a group of us started developing a market timing model, and we've been going now, I mean, you now own the business, but uh, we've been going for 10 years doing that. So why don't we talk about the model, Percy, because you're not actually sort of trying to time very short-term blips in the market. It's more about the longer-term trend and trying to get the right entry and exit points for for the big picture move, so can you have just sort of put a bit of context about uh, how the method, how the methodology works? Sure. Uh, originally, we did have an active model, and we certainly shown in, in our weekly bulletin that you publish um, uh, an active model. But we don't recommend people follow it. If one goes back historically, it does work, but there are just too many whipsaws. It, mm. it exhausts people. The, the number of signal changes. Um, become infuriating after a while. So we've really then stuck with our, what we call the, the conservative model or the Australian conservative model. And that model's relatively straightforward. What we do is take a medium term trend, um, in this case, um, a seven weeks uh, moving average trend line, and we take a 70 week moving average trend line. And if the medium term trend line, that's the, the trend of the market over seven weeks, is above the trend of the market over 70 weeks, we say, look, the market's reasonably safe. But if that medium-term trend line falls below the longer-term trend line, we say, look, the market's getting dangerous. It's better to step aside from the market. And on that basis, one gets uh, a signal about every two years or so, uh, a signal change. So it's not a frequent model. It's not frequent trading. And... um, we try to stay on the right side of the market's trend. Now, we have some other indicators in there, like a momentum indicator, which we use in particular circumstances I can go into, but the model's basically a trend-following model. So we're not trying to predict the market. 
we're simply reacting to the market and saying, let the market tell you when you should be in it and when you should be out of it, because okay. we think trying to guess the market is a fool's game. And how do you see the current trade war situation playing out in the coming year in terms of what this model might predict? Well, first of all, this model is not really predicting. It's a, it's a reactive model. Okay. It, it's following the market's trend and saying step aside when the market is telling you that it's downtrending, stay in the market when the market's telling you it's uptrending over the long term. Um, on the question of where the market's going, I love, I love discussing that, and I was right about it, but that's really going to fundamentals and, and other factors which our model um, doesn't try to... Um, Measure, but you but, do do a little um, bit of you do do a little bit of qualitative overlay. Is that right? Or yes, well, we let the model tell us when to buy and sell, mm -hmm. and we also have a rotation model, which is simply a momentum model, um, which uh, gives uh, investors a choice of five assets, either globally or locally, and it tells you which asset has the strongest momentum, because we know momentum. Um, Trading, at least medium-term momentum trading, is, uh, is along with value management, is probably the most powerful investment model that exists. Mm. Um, so we have two sets of models: one which are momentum-driven, and the other one which is trend-driven. But yes, I do comment on what I think uh, could happen to the market and so forth. But if our signals change from buy to sell or from sell to buy, I follow the model because. Um, trying to argue with the market and saying, you the market's wrong and I'm right, and uh, I'm sure I'll be proven right. Well, Mr. Market <laughs> has a tendency to, um, to to trump you on that one. And, and using the word trump is actually quite, quite significant. Given that what you're seeing now, given what the market's telling you now, Percy, is it, is it safe to still be a buyer? Well, yes, in, in the Australian market, uh, well, let, let me give two answers there. On our trend-following model, um, the medium-term trend line is still way above the long-term trend line and rising. Mm. Uh, the momentum's positive. Um, I'm personally pessimistic about this market, but our model's saying, hang in uh, on trend-following. On the momentum model, it's very interesting. On the momentum model, some months back, I couldn't believe it, but it started showing in both the local market, international market, that gold was the fastest uh, moving asset. Um, and that's before a lot of the panic started. And so we moved to gold because that's what the model told us. And since then, it has been confirmed mm. that mm. momentum in the world has slowed and gold is the the asset we're in on, on momentum. And it's telling a different story. It's saying, look, beware... Um, there are issues developing which is making gold popular and making shares less popular. Okay, so I guess people listening to, to us might be wondering, well, if I want to be a subscriber to market timing, what will I actually get? Absolutely. Um, well, you'd um, get three things. <laughs> you get our trading signals for our conservative uh, model, mm. um, and you get also trading signals for our local and world um, momentum models. Now, our conservative model only applies to Australia. To the, we, we look at the All Lords Index, but um, you can use any exchange-traded fund that covers the equity market. Uh, the most popular one would be STW, the Spider uh, 200 uh, Index Fund. Um, 
And with the uh, momentum models, there's uh, five assets in each class I can go into. Um, uh, gold and cash sit in there, but it, internationally, it's a choice between uh, the American share market as represented by IVV, which is a listed fund, um, the emerging markets and other developed markets. So it'll tell you which one of those markets has the strongest momentum. In Australia, it tells you which of three particular sectors has the strongest momentum, property, um, uh, or uh, resources or finance. Mm. Um, and then as defensive mechanisms, it can put you in gold or cash if they're not doing well. At present, they're in gold, um, both of those strategies. But on the trend following, we're still in shares. We're still with STW or any of the equity funds because on a trend basis, the market in Australia is still strong. And those signals personally... Now, I should mention, you said, sorry, you said what else do you get? You get a weekly bulletin mm -hmm. that explains the trends of the market, both short-term and long-term and each of the momentum models and explains what's happening and tries to explain the reasons for it in fundamental terms. Um, you also get a, quite a lengthy monthly editorial I do on the big picture, uh, which shows you big trends in share markets and so forth and how they impact on your portfolio. And um, and you can also get access to my book, which I published last year. That's free of charge. And that's, of course, on markettimingaustralia.com.au. And, and personally, uh, the, that's correct. Yep, yeah. the, the weekly signals come out on uh, a Sunday. That's because you're looking at all that's the... That's right. Yep. Just explain why a Sunday. Like, well, Sunday is quite uh, appropriate in the sense that by Sunday we know what's happened on Friday. We actually put the bulletin together on a Saturday, but it's time to release on Sunday morning. Uh, it also gives you time then, if there is a signal change, to put in, uh, uh, to go to your broker, your broking platform, and make the change you want to your um uh, whether you're selling something or buying something, it gives you adequate time to do that. The other thing we've found is that uh, Sunday morning is not a time when you're inundated with emails. So uh, when people get used to it, they just say, well, I'll check anytime Sunday that my, I've received my email on that and what are the signals. Whereas during the week, often emails can get lost. And we are only a weekly service. We found being a long-term timer, we don't need to do it on a daily basis as we used to. And, and the $64 question, Percy, that everyone's going to want to know is uh, uh, how successful have you been? No, I was going to say, what's it cost? I'll explain the cost as you guys own the business. Um, uh, look, it's uh, over time, it, it, it's beaten the market by up about 1% per annum. Um, over time um, with back testing and so forth and, and, and since we started the business. Uh, the momentum models, um, I have to go back and look at the results. Uh, momentum's uh, been a difficult time in recent years, but notwithstanding that one of the models, I think it's the global one's done really quite well. The local one has really just uh, paced the market. It hasn't really shot the lights out. Okay. All right, and that's markettiming.com.au or markettimingaustralia.com.au with uh, Percy Allen, and yeah. uh, that's out on the Sunday, Peter. Thanks, Percy. You're welcome. All the best. Well, that's the show for today, Paul. Very interesting, uh, you know, A, about the Uber Air, but also Percy and his market timing. I like the idea, if you add market timing 
to technical analysis to fundamental analysis, and if they're all giving you the thumbs up for stocks, I feel really reasonably comfortable. Look, I think it's a good way to look at the big picture and, and long term. And uh, look, Percy's has been on buy in the Australian market now for some time. Mm. Uh, that signal, uh, and uh, look, he's uh, he's been pretty right. So, I think it's a good sort of for a portfolio holder. It's a good comfort thing. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you're not in a market, uh, and he's been right on gold. Now, I think gold's more a function of interest rates than anything else, yeah. but uh, the price of gold has been going up steadily now for quite yeah. a few months, and Percy's model has uh, set that on yeah. momentum. And, and interest rates right. are linked to the economy as well, slowdown yep. in the economy, you know, bond market issues. Yeah, look, let's face it. Yeah, Percy created this thing. He, he really wanted a home to actually grow it, and we we welcomed him in. So it was a bit like Victor Kayam. We liked it so much, we actually bought into <laughs> it. But we thought it was worthwhile sharing with our, our listeners because it's just another way to get a, a handle on the market. That's the show for this week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Quentin time! Quentin time! <laughs>